This is God's word for us this morning. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look at how the whole world has gone out after him. Well, today is Palm Sunday, and we're looking toward Good Friday and Easter later this week. But I'm actually going to start the sermon today with a Christmas story, and you'll just have to forgive me. George Bailey is the hero of that classic Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And George had had a pretty good life. He had a wonderful wife and kids who adored him. He'd done a lot of good in his small town. He had a little building and loan business that gave him enough to get by, and that had helped all kinds of people in that town make a better life for himself. But then one day, all of that falls apart. A huge sum of George's business money gets misplaced by his uncle and then eventually hidden away by George's arch arch nemesis, the town's evil banker. And with that money gone, George's business is going to fail and someone is probably going to go to jail for stealing it. George realizes that day he's facing bankruptcy and probably prison time. He desperately wants things to turn out differently, but he just doesn't see any way out. So he lashes out at his family. He goes out and gets drunk. He crashes his car into a tree, and then he staggers off to a bridge over a nearby river. And George stands there despairing, just wishing, wishing he'd never been born, wishing something could be different. And then George realizes something. He has a life insurance policy, and if he dies or if he kills himself, that policy will pay out enough to give that money back to his business to take care of his family, and to keep anyone from going to prison. George is so desperate at that point, he just wants things to be better. And so he's willing to do anything it takes just so things turn out differently. On Palm Sunday, that crowd of people outside of Jerusalem were desperate for things to turn out differently. In the Jewish view of the world, the kingdom of Israel should have been front and center in world affairs. The king of Israel should have been a figure of power and might, and his people should have been important just like he was. But that just wasn't how things had ever worked out. Over and over again, God's people on the land of Israel had been beaten up by the world's empires, run over by their armies, and kept down by military and political force. For centuries upon centuries, this crowd and their ancestors had been desperately wishing that things could be different. Now, there were brief flashes of better days. And when that crowd went out and waved those palm branches that day that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, they were thinking back to a much brighter, better day. 
Before the Romans had come along and conquered the land of Israel, the whole land had been under control of an empire that was based in Greece. And one particular empire called Antiochus, well, he literally thought he was the incarnation of the Greek high god Zeus. And he thought that everyone in his territory should get into divine emperor worship. So all over the place, but especially in Jerusalem, he made the temples, temples instead of to this god or that god, temples to Antiochus Zeus, the Greek god and emperor. And this guy demanded that all the Jewish people worship him in the guise of his god. Now you can imagine how well this went over for the Jewish people. And one particular family, the Maccabees, really did not take the whole emperor worship thing well at all. And they started a series of revolts against the Greek Empire. The patriarch of the clan, Mattathias, got things started. And then his sons, Judas and Simon, fought this whole series of battle after battle after battle. After a while, they managed to get the true Jewish religion restored to the temple in Jerusalem. A few years later, they chased the Greeks out of Jerusalem and then out of the whole country. And on that day, when the Maccabees drove the Greeks out of Jerusalem, the crowds in Jerusalem collected palm branches and ran out shouting and waving palm branches to celebrate their victory over the oppressive empire. Now, about a hundred years later, after the Maccabees dynasty had fallen apart into infighting and other things, the Romans came along and they took over the land again. But that palm branch remained a revolutionary symbol for Israel. Waving a palm branch was making a military and political statement. A crowd waving palm branches on the way to Jerusalem wasn't a nice religious celebration. It was close to signing a declaration of independence. So that crowd in John 12 is going out to meet the man who they hope will be the next Maccabee. They're hailing the great freedom fighter. They're yelling for a greater day. They're shouting and screaming for the king of Israel, the one who will make everything different and everything better in their land. We read Psalm 118 together earlier in this service, and the crowd comes out shouting some verses from those psalms. And what John records has political power to it. The people are not calling some nice religious teacher. What they're doing is they're hailing the literal new king of Israel. And if you think about some of the earlier phrases in this psalm, what they're saying turns out to be quite a statement. The nations surrounded me. They surrounded me like bees. But I cut them off. For the people who wanted a different national political order, those were fighting words. Psalm 18 were words of war. They were words of conquest, and they were words of new victory. Now, in verses 17 and 18, we see the crowd was shouting for Jesus as the new Savior and King, in part because they'd heard about how Jesus had risen Lazarus. Lazarus' resurrection had become a sign, and in the collective consciousness of the crowd, that sign was that Jesus was full of power. And here at last was a man who could be the next Maccabee, who could restore the land of Israel, who could bring back the kingdom, who could make Jerusalem a place of power, and who could bring the Jewish nation back to what it should be. The crowd wasn't really getting what Jesus was all about. They understood his power, but they didn't at all understand his plan. The Jews had seen the sign of the resurrection in Lazarus, 
but they interpret it in terms of power to manipulate the political order of the day and bring about a new revolution. They wanted Jesus, the king of Israel, to come and make things better for them. Hosanna, save us from the Romans, the crowd was shouting. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord to get rid of our enemies. Blessed is the king of Israel who will start a bloodbath and deliver us from the Romans. Come on, bring on the new king. Make things different. The Jewish shouting that day had all kinds of subtext for their excitement. When we come to Jesus and cry Hosanna, often we have all kinds of little subtext too. In the day-by-day storylines of our lives, we don't usually want something so dramatic as a political revolution, but it's easy for our focus to, to slip off the big things and for us to become disappointed, disillusioned, and discouraged with how things are working out in our lives. Maybe your career isn't going the way you wanted it to. You never got that dream job, or you got your dream job, and it turned into a job that you're stuck in. Maybe you've lost your job, and you just can't find work. And why? Why can't God come and make things different? Or maybe you're at home. Maybe you're stuck at home with the kids day after day, and there's a lot of great stuff to that, but every day ends up looking like a pile of laundry, a pile of toys, a bunch of food to make, and a bunch of crazy screaming to deal with. And day goes by after day after day after day. Or maybe you're stuck at home for another reason, and your health isn't so great, and it's hard to get out, and the days just look kind of dreary, and you wonder what to live for. Or maybe the school year is wrapping up, and this has been another year for you that you're just kind of putting in your time. You're not getting it. You don't really care. And you wonder what in the world this can have in terms of longer meaning. Why is it that our lives can feel so cramped and so hopeless so often? Why do our hopes and dreams get shattered or end up just sitting in the background of our lives collecting dust? Why can't things turn out differently? Why can't our lives be deeper? Why can't the day-to-day be more meaningful? Why can't we see how these things matter? Now, on that first Palm Sunday, Jesus could have come and given that crowd anything and everything they wanted. He could have been the new king. He could have given them a new country, everything they wanted. But Jesus did something radically different. The crowd had grabbed Psalm 118 and turned it into a political slogan. Rah, rah, here comes the king of Israel. Swing those palm branches round and round. Give him a crown and he'll help us cut those Romans down. Now Jesus accepts the title the crowd gives him, but he totally changes its meaning. The crowd had grabbed a text from the Old Testament, Psalm 118, and they were going crazy with it. But Jesus gives them a different text to chew on. John tells us that Jesus came into town riding on a donkey as it is written. The crowd is quoting from Psalm 118, but Jesus counters by acting out a scene from Zechariah 9. That's the text I used for God's greeting this morning, but let me read it to you again this morning. It's Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The crowd is chanting and screaming for Jesus to come and destroy their enemies. But Jesus intentionally portrays himself as the king who comes into town seated on a donkey's colt. And if we go to that second verse in Zechariah that I read, we see the king coming to destroy all the weapons of war. He's come to empty out the arsenals, to break the bows and arrows, to shatter the chariots, to get rid of the war horses, to beat the swords into plowshares and the spears into pruning hooks. Jesus will be the king of Israel, but he will be an entirely different kind of king. And he will be wildly more successful than what the Jews had ever expected or dreamed of. The crowds wanted another Maccabee. The crowd wanted someone to come to chase their enemies away and to restore the kingdom of Israel. But the Maccabees' kingdoms had come and gone in a flash. Most of that family ended up dying in battles or getting assassinated by their in-laws or some such thing. And after just a few years of rule, after just a few decades, the effects of the Maccabees' family revolution were gone. The victories that the Jewish people remembered by going out and waving palm branches like crazy, well, those victories quickly turned hollow. That bright, shining moment in their people's history was just a flash. It was there for a moment, and then it was gone into history. And a few years after Jesus' death and resurrection, the Jewish crowd did get their revolution. They revolted against the Romans. They chased the empire out. And for a few years, things were how they were supposed to be. At that time, they even minted a bunch of coins that had the palm branch on them. They had won their victory, and they were going to celebrate it. But then after just a few years, the Roman Empire came back with a vengeance, destroyed Jerusalem, broke down the temple entirely, raised the city down to the ground, and the country of Israel disappeared from the map. The king that the crowd wanted would have given them a few years of happiness and prosperity, but then his kingdom would quickly have withered and died. Jesus' kingdom came in a wildly different way and with totally different results. Instead of bringing in the next war, Jesus came came as the king of peace. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey instead of a war horse. And instead of gaining a great military victory, he was kidnapped in the middle of the night He was tried by corrupt, self-serving religious and political powers. And ultimately, he was sent back outside the city to die on a hill, to die the death of a criminal, even though he came as king. The crowd had followed Jesus because they'd heard about his power. They'd heard that he'd raised Lazarus from the dead, and they thought someone like that could save them from the Romans. But that wasn't the whole story. As we look toward Good Friday and Easter, we see a king who seems to be defeated, who dies, who goes down into the grave, but then Jesus rose again. And when Jesus rose again, he came back to his people, bringing a new, greater kingdom and new life for all of us. When Jesus rose again, he rose as the glorified king of the whole earth and of all of God's creation. But none of that was even on the crowd's horizon on that Palm Sunday morning. 
They were all excited for the next Maccabee, for the next king to come and change things up. But they were only seeing a tiny, tiny little part of God's plan. Their vision for God's kingdom and God's king was far too small. And often our vision for God's coming king is, kingdom is way too small. In the regular course of life, as day passes day, this world gives us all kinds of vision problems. We often fix our gaze on the humdrum, on the day-to-day, often dreary, sometimes boring, day-to-day realities of our life. We know that God is up to something big and something good, but it's hard to move our focus from the things we have to do today to the big picture of God's plan. So we come before our great king and we ask for a little bit more money and we ask for a little bit less trouble and we ask for things to go a little bit differently. And all of those requests are legitimate and we live out our faith by bringing everything to God. But at the same time, our vision naturally tends to shrink to the little things, to the day by day, And we need corrective lenses sometimes to open up God's big picture and God's plan for us. The sign of Jesus' resurrection can open up our vision to the fact that in the here and now, God is doing incredible things. And that vision can help to reframe our lives. C.S. Lewis once wrote a book called The Great Divorce. And for most of that book, he follows a group of people on a bus trip from hell to heaven. Obviously, he doesn't mean us to take this literally, but Lewis uses that idea to trace out how the day-to-day decisions, the little things that people do every day, shape who they are and how they live for eternity. And almost without exception, those souls turn away from the glory of heaven and choose instead to keep following the dreary paths, to go back to hell and to embrace its dreary twilight and its just endless, hopeless tortures. The one exception to that rule in the book is saved by an act of gracious and divine intervention. But then at the end of the book, Lewis presents another vision. Now he's standing in the company of a group of huge, majestic giants. These are massive and weighty presences. It's hard to even stand in their midst without falling to your knees. But then in the middle of that giant assembly, there's a little silver table And on that table, there's something like a little chessboard. And on that chessboard, there are little figures of men and women and children going about their regular lives. There's someone going off to work. One more move on the chessboard. Someone doing a load of laundry. One more move on the chessboard. A couple children going off to school. One more move on the chessboard. And the people keep going back and forth on this little chessboard. But every single thing that happens on that chessboard matters. Every move by those little figures affects the eternal destiny, affects who one of those huge, great, majestic giants are. Every little move matters for eternity. You are no ordinary person. You do not have a humdrum life. You have never met an ordinary person. Every human being who you have ever met is an eternal person. Every single thing that all of us do is shot through with eternal significance 
And God is always at work in our lives for now and for eternity. God is at work through the dull, humble, sometimes meaningless, sometimes dreary routines of our lives to make things happen in this world and in our eternal selves. In our usual perspective, our lives don't seem all that remarkable. But sometimes it's good for us to step back and to see the bigger picture. All we can see is that little chessboard that we live on where we move from square to square and we don't usually get to see the end game. Just like the Jewish people who wanted a king to come and bring them a military victory then and there. We sometimes get stuck in our day-to-day and year-to-year concerns. But God's vision is so much greater than ours. Sometimes we can't or don't or won't see the big picture. But God is always at work doing great things. Palm Sunday is a day that we can come and we can lay down our own plans before our God. It's a day that we can come and we can set aside our blindness and our broken vision and we can look toward Jesus, the glorious King who brings true peace and true victory for our lives and for all of God's creation. In the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey decides to throw himself into that raging river so that things will get better. But at the last moment, his guardian angel, this guy called Clarence, shows up and Clarence pulls back the curtain of history and shows George what life would have been like if he hadn't been there. George gets a chance to see how things could turn out differently. And as the plot progresses, he realizes more and more that he's done a lot of good in the world and that he has a lot of good things left in his life. And by the end of the movie, we see that George really has led that wonderful life that the movie's title refers to. Now, we don't all get that kind of happy ending. We don't all get to see those happy endings come into play in our lives or the lives of our families or the people we know. Most of the time, we don't get to peek behind the curtain and see what's going on. Most of the time, we don't get to see over the edge of the chessboard and see how God is really working in this universe. Our vision is usually restricted to the day-to-day, and we don't get to see how everything works together in God's perfect plan. We have lots of questions. We have lots of struggles. We have lots of dull days, and the days just keep coming. But we also have hope, and we have signs of something so much deeper than our day-to-day lives. Jesus, the king, has died, and he has come back to life. And because Jesus lived a wonderful life, because he came as our peaceful king, because we have the sign of Jesus' resurrection and his new life, because we have that new king, we can sing and shout, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. No matter what happens, we never need to be afraid because our powerful, humble, glorious, peaceful king is with us. Our king has come. Our king has died. Our king has risen. Our king reigns forever. All hail the king.